Welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me, I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. My daddy came home every day from there. Welcome, everybody. And now the stars of our show, Gene Galvin. Yeah. No, no, no. Oh, oh, no. oh it is. It's a, and Jerry Springer. Oh, yeah, Jerry Springer. Yeah, yeah. Oh. All right, next well, week. Well, let, let's explain why that happened. Yeah. There's uh, a reason why that happened. Please say hi to Bonnie Galvin. Yeah. Gene's uh, first wife. Yes. And current wife. And current, yeah. yeah. Many years you've been. Yeah. yeah, you and I are the only two people I know that have who been are married, married this long. To, forever, you know, yeah. to their wives. It seems like forever. And that they does. stayed what married What do you mean us. forever? Well, oh, forever. I've got a show going to yet. <laughs> yeah. You think it's been forever since you've been married to her? She uh, thinks it's forever. Line, please, line. Yeah. <laughs> line. Yeah. Anyway, so that's that's uh, my lovely you. wife, Bonnie. Thank you very we much. thank her. For, she's filling in for Megan because Megan is the only person in our trio that does the podcast who has a real job she has a real job yeah and she's traveling for her company and she couldn't be here tonight and she sends her regrets and sent i don't have a real job well no well no (laughs) (laughs) line please no no of course of course you have a great job are you kidding me if you didn't have that job we wouldn't be doing this podcast come on oh it's terrible anyway it's terrible I want to ask you a question a little yes. bit later on yeah. about the inauguration. We, as we do oh, this, a lot of people yes, a lot of people listen to this in the archive versions. So if you're listening to this later than what's the date today? It's like the 16th or so. Today's the 17th. In 17th. three days, he's going to be inaugurated. And he is uh, President-elect Donald Trump. And uh, but you, so you the preparation. You, you said that without stuttering. I did. I always um, say uh, the president like Donald. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard for you to say it. But the uh, so I want to ask you some questions about yes. the preparations for the inauguration, and I'm excited because Aaron Coburn is performing tonight. Let's hear oh, for man. Aaron Coburn. Whoa! <laughs> if you don't know who Aaron Coburn is, you need to find out because she's been here before. This is her second appearance on our podcast. She's from this greater Cincinnati area, tri-state area, and she is, just go to YouTube and you'll see plenty of stuff about her. She's been performing, she writes her own music, and uh, when we chat with her a little bit later on, I'm going to put forward my thesis of why she's going to be a star someday. She might already be a star. But we she's were blown be. away the first time she was yeah, on. She's, I mean, she's, she's really a talent. She will make it uh, big, I, I believe. She uh, has talent. Yeah, she has talent, as opposed to yeah. us. <laughs> well, Bonnie has talent. Bonnie I think Bonnie does have Bonnie talent. is real talent. Bo- Bonnie you has and me, talent. we are basic schlubs. We're schlubs, <laughs> yeah. Did we a couple have a of company zeros. called the schlubs? We, we did. Yes. We had a, I think we, we really did. did company called the schlubs. The schlubs. Hey, yeah. I wanted to ask you something uh, about uh, Twitter, first off. You have a, you have a Twitter account which yes. gets lots of hits, yes. and particularly when you tweet, which I think are hilarious when you do it, and you just did one. Oh, right, today. Where I... you do a tweet that somehow connects the dots between your crazy TV show yeah. and politics. So what did you tweet today? Well, um, you know, we're 
where our home is is down in Florida, where the Ringling Brothers Circus uh, originates. You know where they home base. Are, the home base is what it is, right? The home base. And anyway, they're going out of uh, business now. Uh, they've announced that they're closing the circus after 146 years. So um, I tweeted uh, Ringling Brothers Circus to close uh, after 146 years. Now there are only two circuses left, my show and the Trump White House. See, that's a good one. Sad. And then I put sad. That's a good one. So it's... Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I know, because I, I follow... I'm one of your followers, of which you have many, and our listeners, if you're not following Jerry on Twitter, uh, you should. It's very interesting and entertaining. And uh, you put out a uh, tweet once after a debate in which you said Hillary Clinton belongs in the White House, Trump belongs on your show. That got like hundreds of thousands of both uh, likes as well as about Oh, several hundred thousand retweets, too. Yeah, yeah. So, so that, yeah. Well, it's, a lot of people comment on what's going on politically, but if I make a comment politically and attach it to my show, that gives it a niche that correct. you know a lot of the news stations kind of cover and stuff like that. So I'm aware of that. And, uh, but, you know, he's started this tweet universe, in a yep. sense, in terms of politics, which raises a real question. I think he has to give up his Twitter account the day he gets sworn in. And he says he's not. He said this week that he has not. This is crazy. Why are we not going nuts about this? And and the reason why is not what he says, because, you know, he says things and people assume he's loony. But everything can be hacked. What if the terrorists hack his Twitter account? It's the middle of the night. And some terrorist hacks into his account and puts, uh, there's been a uh, nuclear leak in downtown Chicago. Please leave your homes at once. Yeah, that would be a great example, Jerry. Of what and all happen. of a sudden there'd be riots. Chaos, yeah. And, and, you know, and, and it's hacked. He didn't do it because millions of people that follow every tweet he has would assume, if Trump's telling us that it's, let's do it. Look what they could do to the stock market. Literally, you know, because within a half hour, they could have the stock market tank. You know, a hacker could go in, take his Twitter account and say, um, I don't like jobs going overseas. So the government, just like we did with steel companies back in the 40s, would take over all the American auto companies for the time being. Well, can you imagine the market? Yep. Any investment in General Motors, Ford, any of these companies? It would tank before anyone could step in and say, wait a second, this wasn't what he really did. It's a real threat to national security. I can't be the only person that thought of that. I, I assume there's someone in Homeland Security or whatever that is thinking about this. They got to take it away from him. Not because what he does, but because someone could hack it. And I can't believe that with all the great technical minds out there that people don't know how to hack into a Twitter account. Well, he claims... Uh that he's going to do it, that he's going to continue tweeting. And there is a presidential Twitter account, which I'm sure has all the firewalls around it. But he claims he's going to keep... I, I, by the way, started following him two days ago. I went on Twitter, and I put him as a follower because I want to see all the tweets now that are coming, and I'm following them, and it's interesting. And I live with the fact that I had another number because I don't want to do that because he's always bragging about how many Twitter followers he has. But I'm one of them now. 
So they will probably, I guess, put firewalls around it to protect it. But check this out. Today, I read that a celebrity, and I don't recall, should have marked it down who it was. It wasn't somebody extremely high profile who got hacked and a tweet went out that said such and such. And that celebrity said, that was hacked. That's not me. And there you go, right there. When you're president of the United States, leader of the free world, national security, world security at stake, how in the world can you permit him to have a Twitter account? It's unbelievable. I, I, I was hoping someone would say, well, no, they can't do that because. But apparently you He's, can hack into them. Well, that's what I just uh, read. Yeah. Heard. David uh, is profusely waving his arms at me. What's going on, David? Uh, we have a phone call, and I was oh, wondering wow. if you guys would be able to take it right now. Well, it depends. Who is it? She's somebody that we've had on the show before. Her name is Denise Compton oh, of Podcast God. Watch. Hold on, David. Don't Wait. bring her on yet. Yeah. David, put her... I hope you have her on mute. She She's on mute right saying. now. Okay. Yes. Um, I think we have to take this. Let me give some background for the listeners. Denise Compton has been part of an organization called Podcast Watch. I assume she's still with them. Podcast Watch monitors liberal podcasts and then carries what she hears back to the conservative power brokers. Now they've got Trump, the House, and the Senate. This woman scares the heck out of me. I think we have to take this call, and I would beseech you before she comes on, be nice to her. You're always like, you're the one that sent her to two different cities you messing did. with her. No, I... You sent her to Asheville, North Carolina, claiming she could sit in on the podcast. We've never been to Asheville, North Carolina. But that was you. I didn't say that. I think it was you, Jerry. I think it was you. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's bring her on, and I promise oh, I will you... be respectful. Let's bring her on for just it's a second. Just right. We... Okay, here she is. Miss Compton, are you there? Yes, I am. Hello. How are you all? Oh, well, hi, Miss Compton. Denise. Nice to hear from you again. Happy New Year to all of you. Thank, Thank you. you. And why are you calling, if we might ask? We're in the middle of a podcast, so we're kind of curious. Well, it's a very, very exciting time right now because I am changing roles. We well, are no longer just podcast watch. We're much larger. Oh, oh you've decided to you know, become more liberal? Absolutely not, Mr. Springer. That's preposterous. What we have done is we have joined forces with other like-minded individuals who are ready to take your liberal butt right to where it needs to be. So there's a whole bunch of us now that will be listening, and I have been assigned specifically to your little podcast. And what's the name of this organization? I am sorry, I can't share that kind of information with you right now. Oh, see, that sounds ominous to me. Um, well, I can assure you, uh, Denise Compton, this is Gene Galvin talking. I produce a podcast. I'm a co-host. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. can assure you oh. that I will do my part oh, in working with stop. Mr. Springer to try to moderate. I, oh. I, because I don't know why, why we just <laughs> bend over. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, what a <laughs> that is awful. I, well, oh, is she offended? <laughs> Denise? Well, I laughing. can see that my job is going to be very, very important. It's going to be more important now than ever. I am very excited to be assigned to you, and I hope that you feel the same way. You'll be hearing much more from me. All right. Thanks, yeah. Miss Compton. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. Anytime, Mr. Galvin. Pleasure. All right. Bye-bye. You just wilted in well, front I, of me. All I'm trying to do is I mean, be cordial. We're, we're running a liberal <laughs> podcast here, and the first time some conservative or a right-winger. It's different.
I wish I had that Maybe the Vietnam War was a good idea. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm still mostly against nu- nuclear power. Hey, let me ask you something. You have been on, as we call it in theater, the boards numerous times. You have performed in London. You actually performed on Broadway. You have your own television show. When you were young, when you were a kid in school, did you aspire to go into entertainment, into the arts as a kid? I'm old. We didn't have arts when I was a kid. (laughs) (laughs) There was no, no, um, no, no. There was no one that would have picked me out of, let's say, high school and said, this kid's going to be in showbiz. I mean, no, the first time I was ever in a play was, oh, yeah, I, you know, I was in college. I was in a play just because I was interested in this girl who was in the play. So I tried out. Huh. That's interesting. You, you though, well, had theater experiences, didn't you? Well, I, I wouldn't say I had theater experiences, but I'm going to tell you something I may not have mentioned before. But I was in a show. This is the truth because I goof around a little bit. But oh, this think? is true. I was in a show yes. off Broadway. Way off Broadway. With a person who became, oh. and when I give the name, you're going to be stunned, became a major, major star in television and in movies, and probably theater as well. Wow. In 1968, I'm guessing, yeah. about the time, a friend of mine who was an executive in a company in Cincinnati, he's older than me, he's about 50 years old, I was 20-something, and this guy really wanted to be in New York acting. He's one of these frustrated people who wanted that's what he wanted to do but he you know met the obligations of his young family and he got a real job and he made a bunch of money as an executive but on the side he was always trying to find these theater gigs where he could pull them off logistically like in Cincinnati so there's a theater in Cincinnati you know about this because they actually made you up when you as a news anchor took on the role of a homeless person to do stories that did good things for homeless people, drew attention to the cause. And that's Cincinnati Playhouse in the Park. Right. You know them. Great theater. So they are an off-Broadway theater. They're a legitimate equity theater where great actors go out and perform in these shows, and they do it in other cities as well. There was a show called Incident at Vichy by Arthur Miller. Yeah. It was written in the 60s. It's a great show. It's about the World War II and the Holocaust. And the French, yeah. Uh, Correct. In this French town called Vichy, France. So this guy said to me, my company has called me out to go. I got to go on the road like Friday. I'm going to be gone for the whole weekend. Could you fill in for me at the Cincinnati Playhouse in the park? I said, well, what the hell are you doing? Did they have drugs back then? I'm telling you, Jerry. And he says, I'm a walk-on. I said, I'd love to do this. It would be a blast. It would be no lines. He took me over, introduced me to the assistant director who took me into the director. He was in the theater. He took one look at me. He said, he's fine taking the wardrobe. Took me to wardrobe, got me sized up for a suit, a vintage suit of that era. Yeah. They told me, here's the stage door. Come back at this time on Friday. You're going to do a Friday night show. You're going to do two shows on Saturday, matinee evening, two shows on Sunday. I said, fantastic. <laughs> Turns out and I was- no lines. No lines. I was what was called a drag on. At the end of Incident at Vichy, uh, and it's a very depressing show. Uh, Jews are taken away to be exterminated. And the show ends with five more Jews being brought in and thrown onto these benches. And then we froze this terrified look 
and boom, the lights went down. And that was it. I was on stage for 10 seconds at the most. I went to the theater. I hung out with all these New York actors for three days. And this one guy who was the star of the show, I really and didn't know no, who he, he was. He had no lines. The star of the show? Yeah. He had a whole lot of lines. Oh, oh, someone else. So you weren't yeah. filling in for him. Oh, hell no. no. So yeah. I, was, I, was, uh, I was just a drag on. Yeah. So this, I got to, I was hanging out with this actor. He, in later days, reminded me of you because he was a, becoming a star and was, you know, significant back then in theater. But he's just like a regular guy. He would kind of BS with anybody. And, and you're that way as well. You're very gracious. And there's no, you're not faking it. You just hang out with people. The show, he, I remember when we went up for curtain calls, he would, because I would say, you know, just being me, like, when the, everybody step back when I take my bow and they're all laughing yeah. like, you know, you, so you know who it was? It was the Fonz. Really? Fonzie. Oh, Henry yeah. Winkler. You would. That was in a show. Fonz. When I do resumes He's... now, I always list him as a reference. <laughs> Fonzie. That's the truth. Isn't that bizarre? And that explains your career. Yeah. <laughs> explains. That's how I got here. He's a throw on. He really yeah. is a nice guy now. He produces a lot of TV shows. Really? Yeah. I, I, I think I saw him when I was doing Hollywood Squares or something. Okay. So you he have some, uh, kind of a rapport with him. It was more, yeah, we had some lines. All right, does he, has he ever asked about me? Has he ever? <laughs> Interestingly, no. <laughs> <laughs> Never came up. That's interesting. I said, tell me everybody you know. And he went through. One, another quick question. So um, you live in Sarasota, Florida. I don't know if I should be that specific because then we could have stalkers. and yeah. uh, you're, Somebody's always at your home all the time, 100% of the time. We yeah. should make that Who's now scared to death. That yeah, that's <laughs> right. But yeah. <laughs> what entertainment went oh, on in this Sarasota, weekend. Florida this weekend? Yeah. Well, it, this weekend we went to see... Um, Friday night, Jay Leno, and I was wow. trying to write down his jokes, you know, but the theater was dark, and because I can use them, you know. You would, like, write them down, come back here and do those Oh, jokes. I would steal every one if I <laughs> yeah. could. Oh, yeah, like a, a cheater, a liar, and a murderer walk into a bar. The bartender goes, hey, the Patriots. <laughs> oh. Hey, don't blame me. Blame Jay Leno. <laughs> yeah. So who... Uh... Uh, but anyway, so that. But the next night, it was... Honestly, I just was so happy. We saw Frankie Avalon. Whoa. Fabian. Whoa. And Bobby Rydell. Oh, yeah. Whoa. <laughs> At the Van Wazel, there were like 3,000 people. It was packed. Median age. At least, I'd say, 75. I was... <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, you know, Mickey and I, we were, you know, we were there with my sister and her husband, and the four of us were sitting there, and we were right in that age group. But we looked around, everybody at White Hero was bald. Everybody. That's interesting. And it was like, and you know, I don't know, Annette Funicello was my first crush. So, of course, and she made all those movies, uh, Beach Blanket <laughs> Bingo movies with uh, with Frankie Avalon, and and Frankie Avalon, so... But he, he sang all his old songs. and, and it was he just great. He, he He's amazing. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's still got a voice. And he's got a full head of hair. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, it wasn't a way. I mean, he's... Long to the hair He was in shape. Saying, the yeah. other guys weren't in that good shape. But, yeah, it, it was great. Oh, and all hey. those songs. and So I 
today go back, well, yesterday go back to work in Connecticut, you know, with the people that work on my show. And I, so I took out my phone and I played the Frankie Avalon songs. Yeah. And they're just looking at, looking at you. Oh, it was painful. <laughs> you know, they wanted to be polite because... In a sense, I'm their boss. Well, yeah, because you're their but, meal ticket. But they like, were, they're like I mean, me. They were shuffling their feet and wondering, oh, my God, he's gone batty. Yeah. That's what happens. That's when grandpa goes crazy. <laughs> yeah, grandpa. You just go, well, hey, sure. But, but let me tell you something. We've got, I mentioned Aaron Coburn coming up. Yes. Check this out. So today, I've got this nine-year-old granddaughter, and I'm driving her to dance class, and I said, her name's Josie, and I said, Josie, you got to meet Aaron Coburn. The reason is she's like 15 years old, so you're nine you know, not a whole lot older than you. And she is driven like you are about the entertainment field. We're going to talk to Aaron about yeah. that when she comes up in a few minutes. And I said, go on YouTube. She was sitting in the back of the car and she had her iPod with her. She went to YouTube. How'd she spell her name? I gave it to her. She pulled it up. She hit the play button. And Aaron Coburn was singing uh, Shake, Rattle, and Roll. Oh, Sure. And that song is from the mid-50s. That yeah. was the one of the early iconic yeah. rock songs, yeah. even before Fabian, Frankie Avalon, et yeah. cetera. And here's the point. It's a great old song. It's a great old blues slash R&B song. And you got Aaron Coburn singing that song. I love that. Yeah. Because that, that music then gets passed on, at least that style easily gets passed on to Aaron who I hope someday p kids will stand on her shoulders and they'll pick up that song and the songs that she writes. And they'll give it, yeah, and they'll give it their, their own And they'll make it cool. Twist, yeah. Because let me tell you, my granddaughter, Josie, did not listen to that and say, oh, it sounds old. That's some old person song. No, she was digging what she was yeah. hearing because Aaron has her style of doing that old blues song. Yeah. Without uh, covered these by songs, Elvis yeah. Presley, covered But by a lot of the songs in the 50s, which I love, um, but... There are four chords. It's just a progression of four chords. Every one, because yeah. when we first started to learn how to play the guitar, you could almost play everything with G, C, D7, you know, yeah. and just go around, and you could play. But uh, some of the greatest songs are, are simple, yeah. like yeah. that. And Shake, oh, Rattle, and Roll great. is one of those. Yeah. It's just a simple structure. Oh, Bobby Rydell also. Yeah. So I, as we're going to the theater, you know, Evelyn, they're all saying. What Evelyn's do, your what, sister. Yeah. You know, what are we, why are we doing that? I mean, this is going to be, you know, we kind of yeah. wear snickering, like, we, you know, what are we doing? This isn't the music anymore. So I said, no, this is going to be great. And I said, remember I told you the story how I was stood up for my senior prom. So I never had a date to the senior prom. Yeah. And my. Usually the women in the audience go, oh. Yeah. Yeah. You you can go off. I think it's hilarious, but yeah. you got oh. But there's not one person here who's surprised. <laughs> well, let the record show that. So anyway, one of the things that night, my parents took me out to dinner. But they got together with the parents of John and David, um, who also didn't have dates to the prom. But yeah, okay. but they weren't stood up. They just didn't, yeah, didn't go to the prom. Go. So our parents, God's truth, you know, took John. David and I, to the Copacabana. We, I still wow. have that picture wow. of our parents at this long table at the Copacabana. And there, John, David, and I with our parents, with my sister Evelyn, said, and I said, remember, Evelyn, we saw, you know, she says, I don't remember, but okay. So she thinks, obviously, I'm just embellishing, making up a silly story. God's truth. Bobby Rydell is on stage and he, you know, they talk between the next songs. And he says, I remember back in 61, I was at the Copacabana. Oh, my God. Introducing a song. 
And I scream out, yes! <laughs> <laughs> and everybody looks around and they go, why? That's but great. Great what story. are the odds that of all the places he ever yeah. sang, you would remember that? Hey, that's a good story. So did he, did they know you were in the no, audience? No, 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 they didn't. No, no. I, in hindsight. Why didn't you let them know? Because I, they would have brought you up on stage to no, sing a song with them. <laughs> I'll never let you go. <laughs> Why? Because I love you. <laughs> he loves you. <laughs> oh, but it was just, it was great. I was in heaven. It was wonderful. That's, that's Frankie cool. Avalon. Go get him, guy. Hey, ask yeah. you something. Uh, yeah. What the heck is going on with the inauguration mm. plans this year? Because it just seems like there's more chaos than I remember from others. Well, there is, and there are reasons for it. This is certainly the most, and I think most of us would say that, it's certainly the most chaotic inauguration in our lifetime. The only one that's possibly close is Nixon in 72. There were protests then because we were in the midst of the war, at least when he got elected the first time, there was some hope that maybe this would be the new Nixon and he would take us away from what Lyndon Johnson was doing with the Vietnam War. But then, of course, all he did was escalate it. And so by 72, there were protests, and a lot of congressmen didn't show up. Same kind of thing today, but at a much more limited scale. We have never seen the chaos that is going on right now. And I think there are reasons for it, and this story will end up, I think, giving us some hope and a positive way we can go from here. The first reason you have the particular chaos this year is because there is a real question about legitimacy. Now, the Trump people don't get too excited. He got the most electoral votes. We get it. But most American people don't really view him, not in a legal sense, but just generally is legitimately the choice of the people to be president of the United States. And that's the truth. And now it's even coming out in all the polls they're taking now. First of all, he lost to Hillary Clinton by 3 million votes in the popular vote. So obviously, no matter what you do with the electoral votes, however you, you know, that goes, the clear that, you know, the American people did not say, we want Trump to be president, okay? They voted for Hillary. Second thing is, there's the question of the Russian interference, which all the intelligence agencies now say, and Trump even kind of admitted, as much of admission you'll get from him, that the Russians did have an influence on the election, that uh, they interfered, that they hacked into the, trying to defeat Hillary Clinton and win it for Donald Trump, to the point that there's even now an investigation going on, or will be going on, as to whether or not the Trump people were in communication, involved in hacking Hillary's accounts, the Democrats' accounts. Were they involved in this? That, of course, would be a serious crime which would lead to impeachment. There'd be no question about that. Using a foreign power to win an election, that would get you impeached. So there will be an investigation of that. So that raises the legitimacy question again. Then, of course, Comey, the FBI director, 11 days before the election, coming out and saying, oh, we're reopening the investigation on the emails, which has never been done before. You don't announce, first of all, you don't ever do it right before an election, and secondly, the FBI traditionally never announces when there's an ongoing investigation. Uh, and in fact, Comey even said that in hearings last week when asked whether or not there's an investigation going on about the Russian hacking, Comey says, well, we don't say whether we're investigating anything 
I mean, how could he say that? <laughs> Excuse me? You know, and then, as it turned out, they were wrong. There was no grounds for bringing up the investigation against Hillary. They were wrong on that. So that raises more questions. So the question about the legitimacy of Donald Trump is, one, he didn't win the popular vote, substantially didn't win it, three million votes. That's not a nail-biter. And secondly, there's a question about whether it was an honest election based on Russian hacking, based on Comey getting involved. And now we see the poll that came out yesterday, only 37% of the American people approve of Trump's performance now going into the presidency, 37%. This is the honeymoon period. This is when every American president, even ones that turned out to be disasters, when you first get elected and now there's the inauguration, the celebration, it's a very special moment. This is when you're up here in the polls and he's starting out at 37%? Obama was 68% by comparison. There you go. Okay, so that's the first thing. There's the question, the reason you have the chaos this time is because most people, when they're being honest, they're not trying to argue with their friends and say, uh, you know, because it's your party, you want to be supportive. If they're really being honest, if it's just you and God in the room, you don't honestly think that Donald Trump is the person that ought to be president of the United States. You may not have liked Hillary, but you're not saying Trump is the guy that I would have picked out of the 320 million Americans, okay? That's the first thing. The second thing is, we're not so concerned what his inaugural speech will be. Because normally you say that can set the tone, and there'd be a lot of interest in that. That's usually what the inauguration is. And I don't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican, you, we were interested in what Reagan had to say, what Bush had to say, all of them. But Donald Trump has already demonstrated, which is an incredible skill he has, that he doesn't use words to convey information. He uses words to instill or instigate emotions, feelings, anger, fear, whatever. But he uses words as tools to get you to react, to get the press to react, and then he can say, see, the press is against me. That's how he manipulates the media. We're all worried parsing his words, what he meant by that. It doesn't matter. He didn't mean anything by it. He's not using words for information. He uses words to stir emotions for political benefit. No one's ever been better at it than that. So he's done that well. But that's why we don't care what his inaugural address is, because what, whatever he says, does he really believe it? So that's it. Third thing is, when we think in our lifetime of inaugural addresses, not just our lifetime, go back to Lincoln's second inaugural address or whatever, the inaugural address is an opportunity for a president to set an, a, an inspirational tone and direction for the country, what we can be. This should be our finest moment because we know we've never been where we should be, but the beauty of America is we're so optimistic we're going to get there. We will put a man on the moon before the end of the decade, that kind of stuff. And the tone, I think, of course, in my lifetime, the best inaugural address was John Kennedy asked, not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Think about that line today and compare it to Trump. It's almost laughable. And the reason I say that, he said, Kennedy said, Ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you, what we all can do for our country. 
a sense of community. You know, Kennedy called for sacrifice. We're all going to sacrifice, but we're going to make it. We're all in this together. Now we have a guy who will be sworn in as president who has stated unequivocally that he will not sacrifice for our country. He has said, I will not give up my investments, my property, whatever. I'm not going to put it in a blind trust. It's mine. I'm not going to give it up. I'm not going to sacrifice. And I will not show you my tax returns. They're private. God forbid we have to send young men and women to fight and die for our country. How can the President of the United States ask any parent to send their kids off to fight and die for this country when he won't even give up his hotels? I mean, is there no moral standard at any level for what the president ought to be? This is the president. This isn't a reality show. Where is the lesson about sacrifice? Shall we all sit down with our kids that night and say, you know what? Our president says you don't have to sacrifice for the country. So don't be thinking about joining the military. Don't be thinking about helping out in the cities, in hospitals, volunteering. Forget it. You don't have to sacrifice for our country. It's not that important. Why isn't the press challenging Trump on that? Because the first time he starts saying we're going to send our young men and women overseas to fight, that better be the challenge. How dare, get someone else to ask them to go. Not you, Trump. You will not sacrifice for our country. You won't give up your hotels for America? Really? How can you sit down with a family with gold star mothers and tell them, I can't give up my hotels, that's too big of a sacrifice? One other thing. Even if you like Trump, you think, oh, he's kind of cool, man. He's really telling it like it is. Whatever. Even if you're that kind of, there's not really this great respect for him. You know, he's not a great figure to model. You know, you don't tell your kids, I want you to grow up to be like Donald Trump. You, you just don't do that. And so everybody's kind of dropping out. I don't know what the number is now, but maybe up to 50 congressmen and senators aren't showing up. All these uh, entertainment acts, singers, bands, they're dropping out. They're refusing to show up there. And a good portion of America is saying this should be our greatest week. Free elections, America has decided, let's get behind the president, this will be wonderful, and the majority of Americans just can't stomach the notion that because of campaigns that were either well-run or not well-run, all this little stuff, oh, I didn't like that she used the wrong server, all that stuff, which now seems so trivial in light of what we've done to our country now and what, where we go from here. Now let me end with some good news. There are not just demonstrations in Washington. 200,000 have already signed up for the march in Washington, mostly women, but it'll be 5%, 10% men as well. So there'll be the march on Washington. 
all 50 states have major demonstrations planned for Inauguration Day. All 50 states, not to mention, I think the latest was 37 countries, countries overseas. Foreign countries, yeah. Foreign countries are having. But let's stick to America just for a moment. Expatriates in foreign countries. Yes. So demonstrations all over. Here's the good news, and strangely enough, ironically enough, it comes on the issue of Obamacare, of the Affordable Care Act, which they thought was their biggest weapon. They're in trouble now, the Republicans, because they swore to their voters they're going to get rid of Obamacare. And to be honest, it seemed like at the time a popular political issue for them to run on. But now, they're finding out, which was obvious to anyone that ever looked at it, ooh, what do you replace it with? Now that you have 20-plus million people suddenly having insurance coverage that they didn't have before, do you throw them off? If you repeal, what do they have? If you take away the funding, which they'll do first, there goes the people on Medicaid, And one of the reasons you had so many more people with coverage is because they provided states with the funding to pay for more people, to put more people on Medicaid. They'll now be thrown off. People will lose their insurance. Now, everybody says, Republicans and Democrats, we want to have health insurance. We don't like Obamacare, but we want health insurance where an insurance company cannot say no to you because of a pre-existing condition. There is... universal acceptance that that ought to be the law. This is the reason there's been no replacement for all these years. It's not like the Democrats wouldn't, with all the political flack they were taking, believe me, if there was a replacement plan, they would have taken it. (laughs) They didn't care. They'd call that Obamacare. They'd take whatever. It doesn't matter what you call it. No politician wants to have the voters angry at him or her. Here is a fact It's not debatable. If you pass a law that says no insurance company can deny you coverage because of a pre-existing condition, you will have only two options to pay for that. Either everyone has to have insurance, you must make it compulsory, because there's no money to pay for people that are sick if the people that are healthy are not paying premiums. And if you didn't have a law which says you have to have insurance, then no one would buy insurance. Why would you? Until you got sick. Why pay premiums? Don't pay it until you get sick. And then when you get sick, the insurance company has to give it to you. But there's no money in the fund to pay for it then. Because the people that are healthy have to pay in. So you can't have one without the other. Unless, of course, you had the government give subsidies to everybody. Single payer. Well, Republicans will fall on a sword before they ever agree to that. Those are the only two options. You either compel everyone to have insurance or you raise taxes so that you have subsidies for everybody to be able to afford it. The only two options. It's not like all of a sudden medical expenses won't be expensive. The cost will be there. It'll be a little higher, a little lower. That's there. Things cost what they cost, and maybe we can drive the cost down a little bit. 
But unless you have compulsory contributions, in other words, everyone has to have health insurance, you cannot have a law which says insurance companies have to take pre-existing conditions. Now what the Repubs are saying, okay, we won't repeal it until we have a replacement. Well, there is no replacement. That's why no one's been coming up with it. You think they would have gone through this whole election without telling you what they plan to do? Nobody has a clue because they know that once they tell you what the replacement is, it's going to be higher taxes. Or they're not going to be able to do what they said, pre-existing conditions. The insurance companies, the day you pass that repeal, if you don't have a replacement where they know where their money's coming, all these insurance companies will drop out. They're not going to take it. Why would an insurance company take you as a customer if there's no money coming in? They're in a business. They'll all drop out. There won't be any insurance companies to cover you. They require people that are healthy paying in. That's why they were saying no to pre-existing conditions before. They couldn't afford it. And I'll end with this. Because that'll become very clear the day they actually repeal it. And millions of people suddenly get the notice that they no longer have health insurance. Millions of people. You are going to see what we saw last night. I saw it on the national news. I wasn't here. Right across the river. Second district, Cincinnati. Eastern half of Hamilton County and all the way in the counties east. The congressman there had a town Oh, Republican, won easily. He voted every time that he was in office to repeal Obamacare. Every single time he voted for it. So he shows up at the town hall meeting last night, thinking, oh, this is going to be great. You know, just talk to the people. Thanks for reelecting me. The place was flooded with people. Women crying, not just women. The, the one who was on the air was crying. The place was packed with people that obviously voted for Trump in that district, just outraged that this man would be in Congress and now he's talking about taking away my medical care, my health insurance. I've got a sick kid. I've got medical problems. My spouse does. It doesn't matter even more about Trump. I'm telling you, 2018... If you're worried about what's going to happen now, 2018 is your leverage. What this country has to say to every congressman, I don't care if you went to high school with him or her. I don't care if they're your best buddies. You want to make sure that everyone in America has health insurance that you can afford. Then we say to every single congressperson, no matter what party they're in, that we will vote you out of office if you repeal health insurance for all Americans. I don't care what you call it. Call it Trumpocare. If we, or with our protests, this is what the positive message is, we can do something because you've got Trump for four more years, but the congressmen, they're up in two, and some senators are up in two. Believe me, they don't want to keep coming to meetings where people storm the meetings saying, how dare you take away my insurance? I promise you, we will block that from happening if we see this as the new battleground. That is how we stop 
what is happening in government today. Yeah. Springer for governor in both Kentucky and Ohio. I want to be governor of two states. Two states and what I would do, time. and then I'd merge it together, and the river right. would become like a lake in between. Yeah, there you go. And Miss Compton, if you're listening, this is Gene Galvin. You notice I was very quiet during all of that. Let's bring up Aaron Coburn. Here we go. We've already given Aaron, as she and her uh, band set yeah. up, some introduction. We're uh, real high on this young woman who is 15 years old, and and I'll tell you, uh, I, I think she's going to make it, but uh, you guys are going to get to hear her do a couple of songs. Her. I have a grandson. He's eight, but he eight dates older women. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, hey, Richard, listen in. Yeah. And by the way, with Aaron is uh, Dixon playing, I think it's a bass, right? Yes, sir. And Joseph playing... Dubuque. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. I'm getting schooled here on drums. That's good. Okay, Aaron, tell us the first song you're going to do, and is it one that you wrote? Yes. Uh, the first song I'm going to do is called Evergreen, and uh, I recently wrote it, which will be on the new album that we're recording soon. So. Okay, let's hear it. Aaron Coburn.
Aaron Coburn. And people can hear your music where? Uh, on AaronCoburnMusic.com or check out iTunes and uh, Spotify. And we also sell on CD Baby. So. Okay. Yes. And, you know, I have said, Jerry and Bonnie, earlier, uh, I think she's I – mean, I think we're looking at somebody who is a star. And I'll tell you, for three reasons, Aaron. One, you're driven, and you got to have that. And we know that because we're following you. You just – this is what you do. You're a high school kid, and I'm sure you have a lot of social life and all that, but this is what drives you, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Number two, you're clearly talented. Thank you. And three, you've got preparation. We met your parents who are here tonight, so you've got good family around you. Oh, yes. They're very supportive. Good. Yeah. I'm driven, too. I, uh, my chauffeur's been with me for 20 years. <laughs> no, I meant and that in a different get... way. Oh. Motivated. Oh, Mo oh, tenacious. Oh. Yeah. He's, no. <laughs> hey, uh... Downpour is your second song, right? Yes. Uh, what motivated that? Tell us about Downpour and then do it for us. Well, I do have a story behind it. Um, so I was in school, and I said a bad word that I shouldn't have. It rhymes with luck. Okay. And with my luck, I got two days of detention. So, <laughs> And I've, I've never really done that before. You know, I haven't done something that bad. And uh, I hyperventilated in the car. Wow. And I did not feel too good about it. So I wrote this song. So it's called Downpour. And uh, it was raining when I wrote it. So Will, will the word be in the song? <laughs> no, it's, no, it's okay. exempt from wanted, that. No, no, it's not. <laughs> not if that's what it's about, I didn't know. No. <laughs> well, luck might be, but not yeah. the other yeah. words. He doesn't even know. That was a or good like, clue, but he doesn't even know what the other word was. <laughs> Go ahead, Aaron. Downpour. Aaron right. Coburn. Been down myself. Why am I under this spell? I can't stop. I'm trying to be better. They say, don't stop. You'll never be better. Change for you. Let me stop my rage and put down my hat and just walk away. I'm a part-time delinquent, I must say, I didn't mean to 
but that word just came. Oh no, no, no. schools in a former life and I tell you if I and I gave kids detentions for stuff I would bring you back and have you perform that either at graduation or at least in the detention room that'd be great your assignment is your punishment is go write a song I would be totally fine with that yeah because you probably spent a lot of well I don't know if you could sing it to the people on my show there you they, go uh, <laughs> they use that they, yeah that is very cool yeah. song. and your your bandmates are great you guys are I mean that's real kind of, yeah. kind of a are. jazz thing and perfectly performed do uh, well Irene good night I say, nah, I'll just stick with food. Listening to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, recorded live at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. Thanks to Patrick Kennedy for writing our opening song and to you for listening. Check out our website at jerryspringer.com.
Dream.